0: Hi, my name is John, and I want to welcome you to another session in the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I just have to say, this is one of my all-time favorite stories in the Gospels. One of my all-time favorite stories about Jesus. In this story, Jesus is in some unspecified uh, town, some city, The story involves a woman, a Pharisee, and Jesus. There's a cast of other extra characters around the scene, but those are the three main characters. A woman, a Pharisee, and Jesus. And the story assumes that before it takes place, the woman has at least heard Jesus' message of grace, forgiveness, and welcome. The story just won't work unless that happened, and so it assumes that she's had some sort of interaction with Jesus before this little snapshot here in Luke chapter 7, and she comes to show Jesus her appreciation, her gratitude for whatever sort of experience of grace she's had from him. Now, we're not sure when that happened, we're not sure how it happened, but the story only works if in some way she's had some sort of experience uh, of grace and welcome from Jesus. So Jesus has been teaching in her town, whatever town that is, and she has had some interaction with him. She's heard him. She's seen him. We're not sure, but something like that. And now she's heard that he's going to be Having a banquet, he's he's been invited to a dinner at the Pharisee's house, and she wants to, in some way, express her gratitude or appreciation. And so she actually comes to the banquet as well. That's the setup for this story. And so Luke chapter 7, verse 36, reads like this. Now, one of the Pharisees in that town, whatever town it was, was requesting him to eat with him. And he, Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Let's just set up a few uh, kind of cultural customs that help us understand what's going on in the story. Uh, Jesus is in some town teaching. As a visiting rabbi, he is now invited to a Pharisee who is another teacher of some sort, right? Religious leader in town. And so this Pharisee, this religious leader is inviting Jesus to be his guest at a banquet. This was fairly customary where you would invite a visiting rabbi over to kind of continue whatever dialogue you had been having or maybe explore his teaching some more, or have a theological conversation over dinner. So our assumption would be that's what's going on here. The Pharisee has heard Jesus teaching, he knows the crowds in town have been listening to him. He wants to he wants to have a conversation over dinner with Jesus and along with his other. Uh, Pharisaic buddies, scribes and Pharisees, right? He wants to have some sort of discussion and explore Jesus' teaching further at his house. And so he invites him over. Now, keep in mind who the Pharisees are. We tend to have a pretty negative view of them because of their interaction with Jesus in the Gospels. But at a popular level in first century Israel, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees are very popular religious leaders and teachers. They are sort of almost like, in some regards, model Jews. Their goal is to be as holy and pure as possible. And they, combined with their scribes, saw themselves as preeminent teachers and rabbis of the law, of the scriptures. And so the Pharisee invites Jesus over to have this conversation. Another important uh, custom that uh, shows up in the story is the way banquets worked out. You see it here in verse 36 that Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And so in a banquet like this, you would have a low table with usually like a couch on three sides, a U-shaped couch around the table, covering three, you know, around three sides of the table, where people who are eating then would lie down, recline, with like their elbow on the table and they could eat with one hand while they laid around the table and ate. That's the way this works. So reclined at table, that's the picture you need to have in mind is this three-sided couch around the table um, where they're going to be lying down and eating and discussing whatever it is they're going to discuss. If you don't have that picture in mind, it doesn't make sense what the woman's going to do here in a very little bit. Not only that... Since we mentioned the woman, we need to understand also that at these kind of banquets, it was customary for townsfolk to kind of gather around the perimeter, like to sit maybe on wooden benches um, around the perimeter of the room so they could listen in and learn as well from the conversation. Or maybe they would gather outside and listen in from the windows or the doors. And so there's town folk sort of. Uh, permitted to be there as silent observers listening in to the enlightened conversation from the Pharisees, their scribes, and in this case, the guest of honor, Jesus himself. That's the picture we have in mind. So here's Jesus going to a Pharisee's house for a banquet where he is going to be the guest of honor and uh, engage in scholarly conversation about the law, about the scriptures, about Jesus' teaching, or some such thing as that. That's the picture we need to have in mind. Now, we'll learn very shortly as the story unfolds that this Pharisee, when Jesus entered his house, did not even give Jesus the customary forms of welcome that you would give a normal person, yet alone a guest of honor, such as a visiting rabbi. That's important as well. So now, with that, let's keep reading the story. So here's Jesus reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, and verse 37, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Notice the label. This woman, that's what she's known for. She's known in the city as a sinner. She's the sinner woman. We don't know why she was uh, deemed that. The best guess that most scholars assume is that uh, she was a prostitute. And that's highly likely, although we don't know 100% for certain. We just know she has been labeled by the townsfolk as the sinner woman in town. And so this woman um, has had some sort, as we noted in the introduction, some sort of interaction with Jesus. She has seen him. She's heard him. There's been something we would have to assume that motivates her to come. And so she comes when she hears that Jesus is going to be at this Pharisee's house. So keep reading verse 37. There was this woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So it seems like she plans to honor him in some way. And so she brings an alabaster vial, a little perfume bottle um, with a long neck, right? And it's plugged at the top and it's got perfume in it. You would, you would break off the long neck and then you would pour the perfume. If she was a prostitute, this sort of perfume would have been the kind of thing that she would have used in her trade to make the house smell good, make herself smell nice for her work as a prostitute. Whatever it is, she brings this alabaster vial of perfume, and such perfume was often incredibly expensive. Oftentimes, uh, these kind of vials of perfume would cost up to an average working person a year's wages. So we're not talking like a cheap little gift, right? We're talking an expensive amount of perfume. So she brings uh, this alabaster vial of perfume with her uh, to the Pharisee's house. And as we noted, the host, the Pharisee, had shamed Jesus by withholding the expected customary norms of welcome and hospitality. And so what the woman ends up doing is offering an impromptu, improvised, unplanned attempt to replace them. So she comes wanting to honor Jesus in some way. We don't know what her initial plan was, but when she sees how Jesus is mistreated by the Pharisee, who is his host, she cannot help herself, and she is moved by that to offer impromptu, improvised welcome and hospitality to Jesus. And so here's what happens, verse 38 and standing behind him Jesus at his feet remember he's reclining on table with his, at, at table with his feet out behind him and so she she leaves the perimeter of the house she leaves maybe even behind outside the, she she is driven by how badly he has been shamed and dishonored by his host and she is moved by her own Sense of welcome and grace in whatever way she has seen or experienced that from Jesus, that she leaves the accepted place for the townsfolk, the crowd, the perimeter of the, the room, and now she approaches Jesus and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She's crying, um, uh, presumably out of gratitude, pr- presumably out of seeing him mistreated, right? So she's weeping, and now. She's crying so much that the tears are dropping off her cheeks. And it says she began to wet his feet with her tears. And so she is behind him and the tears are dripping off her cheeks onto his feet. His feet haven't been washed. That was one of the customary Um, forms of hospitality that the host should have offered Jesus, but he didn't. And so now her tears are dropping onto his feet. His feet are dusty and dirty because they haven't been washed, and now they're making a mess of his feet. And so now all of a sudden she gets down, it seems like at least, she has to get down on her hands and knees in order to do what happens next. And so she gets down on her hands and knees. She lets down her hair. Her hair would have been up veil on, but she lets down her hair, and she begins to wipe his feet with the hair of her head. And she began kissing his feet, and then she takes this alabaster vial perfume, and she anoints his feet with her perfume. So she pours her perfume all over his feet as she wipes her feet with his hair and kisses them. This is... An incredible breach of social propriety. This is an incredible um, act that is is like goes against anything that should have happened, right? Like she lets down her hair. Women in that culture did not let down their hair in public. Like even behind closed doors, sometimes they're, you know, with their own family, Like, like there was propriety about that, yet alone in public. But she lets down her hair in public. Not only that, she touches him and his feet so much so that she kisses them like the affection and the intimacy in public between a woman and a man shocking this did not happen a man did not even show this kind of affection or a woman did not show this kind of affection towards their spouse in public it did not happen uh, in public this is shocking and yet alone here is Jesus and some woman who's not even his spouse right like uh, this, is, this is clearly a breach, a massive breach of all propriety. This is not the way things are done. And yet this woman is so moved, so moved by whatever she's seen and heard and experienced in Jesus. So moved perhaps by the tone of his vo- voice, the look in his eyes, the depth of the grace in his teaching. She's so moved by how he's mistreated. She can't help herself. And she... She breaks with all appropriate action and she shows this form of affectionate intimacy in public. Now, the expectation of the Pharisee, the expectation of the other guests around the Pharisee's table, the expectation even of the townsfolks watching and seeing all this, the expectation would have been that a rabbi like Jesus would have firmly rejected such disgraceful and shameful behavior. And so here's how the Pharisee responds in verse 39. The Pharisee says, uh, thinks to himself, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So Simon, we'll learn his name in just a second, Simon the Pharisee sees what's happening, and he begins to think to himself, there's no way Jesus could be a prophet. There's no, like the people are calling him a prophet, right? He's doing miracles like a prophet. He's teaching like a prophet. If he really were a prophet, um it, there's, he would have rejected this. He would know who this woman is, that she's a sinner, that she wore this label. He would have pulled his feet back. He would have rejected her and, and pushed her away and told her to get back into her proper place in town and get out of the house. That's what he would have done. That's the Pharisee's assumption, that any self-respecting prophet or rabbi, clearly would have rebuked her and made her stop and the fact that Jesus didn't makes it obvious that he's not a prophet or any such thing. Well, ironically, Jesus knows what Simon the Pharisee is thinking and this is how Jesus responds in verse 40. Jesus responded and said to him, "Simon," this is where we learn his name, "Simon, I have something to say to you." And the Pharisee replied, "Say it, teacher." And so He invites Jesus to to offer his thoughts. And Jesus tells a little parable, a little story. Verse 41, a moneylender had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he canceled the debts of both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I assume the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And so Jesus tells a little parable in, in, with a question at the end, inviting si- Simon the Pharisee to respond. Simon responds uh, and Jesus affirms that his response. Now, before we look at where Jesus goes from there, let's just process this parable a little bit. Um, the moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarius was a, a standard day's wage for a working person in Jesus' day. And so you have 500 days wages or 50 days wages. Both is a significant amount of money, right? Like put it into the standard work week uh, in our time and place, a five-day work week and you're, you're looking at, for the 50 denarii person, if you have a five-day work week, you're looking at 10 weeks worth of work. 10 weeks, that's two and a half months wages. That's a significant amount, depending on what the person makes, right? So uh, uh, that's two and a half months wages, or 500 denarii, right? Like, that's, that's like, two years or two and a half years wages. We're talking a significant amount of money. So both these people have significant debts. It's just one is so much more. Um, both were unable to repay. Well, you can understand why. When we understand the money amounts that we're talking about, you can understand why, wow, neither one of these could repay. Those are big debts. And so both were unable to repay their debts. Well, the money lender canceled both of the debts. Which of him will love him more? That's the question Jesus asks. Now, what's fascinating is, uh, for us to make sure we notice, is that sin uh, is consistently portrayed in Scripture as a debt. And that's the point of this parable here, is this has to do with sin and Forgiveness, and forgiveness is consistently portrayed in Scripture as the canceling of a debt, not making someone pay. So that's the the picture is of a moneylender and two debtors. The point of the image, as we will learn very shortly, is sin and forgiveness. So when Jesus says, who will love him more? Jesus, or Simon answers, well, I assume the one who had the greater debt. Jesus said, you judge correctly. Both of them are going to be appreciative. Both of them are going to be grateful. But the one who owed two to two and a half years money, man, even more grateful than the one who owed two and a half months. Um, So here's what Jesus does. Here's the point he makes now to Simon out of telling the parable. Look at verse 44, and turning toward the woman. Just note that phrase. Jesus is talking to Simon and his friends around the table. These are the religious elite in town and turning toward the woman. So as you picture the scene, Jesus turns, uh, looks down towards his feet where this woman has been weeping. And now the spotlight is on her and Jesus looks at her. He acknowledges her. He sees her. She's not just a sinner. She's a woman. She's a person. And he turns towards the woman. And while looking at the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Notice that Jesus directs Simon's attention to her. He wants her to see her as a woman, not a sinner, not as an object, not as someone who can be written off and labeled. Do you see this woman? Jesus says he wants Simon to look at her. And then Jesus does something shocking again, shocking again. He, Jesus, is about to insult his host's hospitality and defend this woman, this woman who everyone knows in town as the sinner, Jesus is going to defend her. This woman who has broken all propriety and gone against all social norms, Jesus is about to defend her. And at the same time, he's going to insult his host's hospitality. These are things that are never done in Middle Eastern culture today or certainly back then. And so Jesus, um, this is shocking what he does. Listen to what he does in the rest of verse 44 and onwards. He says to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting." But she has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in. And notice that this happened right from the get-go. She has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And so Jesus insults his hosts specifically for his lack of hospitality and welcome. Right, Like Simon has actually broken social norms, by um, offering no water to wash Jesus' feet, by giving no customary kiss of greeting, the kiss on the cheek to say, welcome to my home, right? No kiss of greeting on the cheek. Uh, You didn't offer any oil to anoint my head. These were things that uh, were fairly customary acts of hospitality and welcome. Simon failed to do that. And so Jesus says, look at this woman. She actually she actually went above and beyond, and she did what you, Simon, failed to do. And so Jesus says to her in verse 47, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, like the large debt, the 500 denarii net. He doesn't, Jesus does not uh, minimize that. He does not pretend like she hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, he's just not willing to label her a sinner. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And so here, playing off of the the story of the money lender that Jesus told, you have uh, somebody who has shown no gratitude to Jesus, Simon. You have someone who has shown great gratitude towards Jesus, the woman. And Jesus says the fact that she has shown such extravagant gratitude is evidence of the fact that her many sins have been forgiven. You see the evidence of her great forgiveness in her great love and affection. And it's really important that we get the order right in our reading of what Jesus says. He's not saying, because she did this act, her sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, because her sins are forgiven, she did this great act we've got to get the order right just like in the story of the money lender the forgiveness precedes the gratitude well the same thing is here in this point about the woman the forgiveness like there has been grace bestowed and that's why i say she there's been some sort of interaction between her and jesus where she's experienced some sort of grace and we're not sure what that is and we don't know the way that played out but she is demonstrating Um, the fact that she knows she has been graced by Jesus, she knows she'll be welcomed by him. She is not going to be treated like just a a sinner, an object. She's not going to be treated like if she is a prostitute, just like an object for a man's pleasure. She is going to be welcomed as a person and received with grace by him. And she comes and demonstrates that in this act of affection and and hospitality and gratitude towards him. And now Jesus, to reassure this woman and to really restore her in some regards in the eyes of the community, Jesus says this in verse 48 to the woman. He said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And he pronounces right there in front of everybody publicly that her sins have been forgiven, that she has been given grace And her debt, which is great, Jesus acknowledged that, has been canceled. Well, when those who are there, right, and then those who are reclining at table with him. So Simon and his guests around the table, when they heard this, they began saying to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? Who indeed? Who is this that thinks he, he can speak on God's behalf and forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And he sends her out um, saved because of her faith in him, because of her faith demonstrated by her act of love and affection. And he sends her out to go in peace, to go in shalom, to go in wholeness. And harmony and we don't know what happens to this woman after this we don't know who she becomes and what she does and how she interacts with Jesus from here on out but in this moment Jesus restores her to wholeness and fullness by his grace and by his own welcome of her and this is an incredible story of grace And gratitude. It's the kind of story we should read over and over again. We should read it till it comes to life in our mind. This story is a beautiful portrayal of when someone encounters the grace of God in Jesus, the impact it has on their soul. That's the entire point of the parable, that when we recognize uh, that our debt has been fully and completely canceled by God in Christ. The gratitude wells up within us, and uh, even <laughs> extravagant, even um, socially improper expressions of that gratitude are received by Jesus because. Because it is right to demonstrate our love and our affection and our gratitude, even in extravagant ways when we recognize how great great the grace is that has forgiven us of our debt, that has canceled us the debt of our sin towards God. Not only that, it is an incredible portrayal of how Jesus receives and welcomes Sinners. This woman is the sinner, right? She's known as that. She's a notorious sinner in town. And Jesus welcomes her and defends her honor over against the Pharisee, who's the religious elite in town. And and Jesus wants the Pharisee himself to see that he's got a debt that needs forgiven too that even though he's a religious man he still has a debt he might he might be the the 50 denarii debtor in the parable but he still has a debt that he can't pay and he needs grace too he wants him to see that and if he'll see that and he'll repent Jesus will welcome him too that that's the beautiful thing that we have portrayed here is it doesn't matter what kind of quote-unquote sinner you are, great sinner, small sinner, religious sinner, irreligious sinner, Jesus welcomes sinners like this woman to himself. And he, he welcomes her so fully, he defends her honor. In front of the townsfolk, in front of the guests around the table, in front of his host, a Pharisee, Jesus defends this woman and acknowledges her not as the sinner, acknowledges her as a woman. As a woman made in God's image, welcomed by Himself, granted grace and forgiven. Jesus acknowledges she's a sinner. He acknowledges her her sins are many, and He offers her grace to cancel the debt and forgive her sin. This is an incredible portrayal of how Jesus treats sinners like myself and like you. Jesus welcomes sinners, forgives their sins, and grants them grace. And sends them out in peace and in wholeness. And the more we understand the depth of Jesus' grace, the greater our gratitude will be.